This is Gaming and DS. Here, can you hear now? I don't think anybody liked what you're doing there. I'm so putting it in just because you said don't put it in. You know that, right? Heavy on the BS. Heavy on the BS. You totally wrecked our legal fund, dude. We are out. You know, if we, anything comes up next year, we get sued again. It's just we don't have it. We're going to have to dig deep. This is Gaming and BS, episode 12, Game Balance. This is a RPG podcast starring your hosts, Sean, me, and, and Brett, the other guy. The other guy. The other guy. The better guy. I don't know. <laughs> Just the other half. So thanks for joining us uh, this week. Announcements. In case you've been living under a rock and um, maybe you don't tune into the D&D release schedule, but the Dungeon Master's Guide has been released. Now, I don't know if it's been, and that's for 5e, but I don't know if that's released to the masses or was it just to like premiere stores i don't even know i don't know but people have got it and you're seeing on your google pluses on the interwebs on the intertubes people have got some reviews up like hey i've got this it's looking great um if you follow the dungeon bastard uh on facebook he happens to uh he got a copy and he uh ranted about a little bit so it's out so that's kind of cool and as sean already convinced me to buy the other two books i've got to buy this one so i can have the dmg with my player's handbook and monster manual so so I that picked, is a purchase for tomorrow, I believe. I picked up my copy, Frytag, which was the day that they released them to, I think, brick and mortar. I think December 9th, maybe Amazon might release them. I'm not sure. Because I think Watsy wanted stores to be able to sell them first and then different channels is, I think, my understanding. That's what they did with like PHB and Monster Manual. So check it out. Let us know what you think of the new DMG. I do have it. I paged through it. I haven't looked at it all in depth. It has a lot of tables, which is nice. So you can it does have the random dungeon creation tables. Oh nice. So yeah, you can start rolling on those. Um magic items are in there. Um tells you a little bit about how to DM, but it's not uh yeah, I think it's decent. Um it fits in with what they're trying to shoot for. And just to uh, correct there, I'm looking at my Amazon page here, and it says this title will be released on December 9th. So, yes, Sean is correct. Your brick and mortar seem to have gotten it first, which is pretty freaking cool. Kind of as a nice little segue, <laughs> like they were listening to our podcast or something. But a nice segue from our uh, friendly neighborhood gaming store discussion last time. So your local game store seems to or should hopefully have it before Amazon. That's pretty cool. What other episodes announcements do we have here? Is my plug into my computer, which I didn't do, and I probably run out of battery juice in the middle, so I had to do that quick. I know. Um, we've been added to the master list of podcasts on the table in the tabletop podcast community on Google Plus, thanks to our buddy Mo Tusano. The Canadian gaming god, for those who are not yet aware of Mo and his greatness in the gaming world. So if you enjoy our show, which I hope you do, um, there is another list there. So as long as you're tuning into our PG podcast, they've got a plethora of them there. Check it out. The link in the show notes. 
Another announcement, uh, Savage Worlds Bloggers Network on G+, uh, shouted out to us. Now, I happen to know Christian Serrano. Um, he's the moderator, I believe, of that Savage Worlds Bloggers Network, which was great, I thought. So there'll be a link to Christian's um, profile. He does a lot of the Savage Worlds. He's even been on podcast and Google Hangouts around Savage Worlds-based games. Um, so check him out. He's a pretty good... He's just a good community advocate in general. So thanks, Christian, for doing that. Appreciate it. Very cool. Um, I didn't check. I didn't check anything on. Uh, I don't think any. I don't think we had any other real announcements. Did you have any announcements, Brett? No, sir. That covers pretty much anything I wanted to talk about. All right, let's make it happen. Let's get into random, random encounter. encounter. Random encounter where we. Talk about messages from the audience, comments from G+, Twitter, Facebook, email, phone, voicemail, smoke signals. I don't know. Wall tapping. Dwarven cave tapping. Whatever it is you do. Morse code. Um, Yes. Right. Pantomiming. No, pantomiming is flat out. We don't allow that. Okay. Sign language. Yes, I'll take sign language, but no pantomiming. So um, there was a couple comments on the episode of our, our last one, episode 11, we did one on game stores. And if you haven't heard it, go and listen to it. And by the way, spoilers. No, not really. There's no, <laughs> no, it's uh, about gaming stores. There you go. Game stores. Um, and so we had a couple comments even straight on our blog, which I know one of them was from our buddy – Chad. It was from Bo. It was Chad. Chad threw out there too. I Chad, did not see Chad's. Yep. Chad. So I'll read them quick because I think we can cover both of them. So Chad Knight, who is an individual that Brett knows pretty well and um, I have yet to meet, but hopefully we'll do that in the future. So he posted, I just finished listening to this podcast and I think I needed this info about two years ago when, I, when my shop closed up. I'm glad that Brett liked my shop, but honestly, I heard a bunch of things that we were not doing doing in our shop. The biggest thing I should have done and couldn't pull the trigger on was firing one of our part-time employees. Uh, He was such an excited gamer, but there was a lot of problems. I had to talk to him several times about the way he interacted with customers. He would get in verbal yelling matches with customers, telling them what they they were wrong about. (laughs) You're wrong! That's what what podcasts are for. That's not for the storefront. Right. How they were wrong about it and how stupid they were for being wrong. That said, that really isn't his problem. That was mine. Uh, Our biggest issue was cash flow, which I think is a challenge for all game stores and ones that can manage it really well. Um, That's tough. I mean, there's no question. I think the stuff Brett and I threw out were just no-brainer from consumer perspectives, but – Cash flow, inventory, paying rent, getting people in to buy stuff, what's the buying cycle? Those are things that Brett and I are probably really ignorant to. Yeah, well, absolutely. And it, like we said last time, it was like, hey, this is just from us to you, our perspective, what we think we like to see or so forth. And it comes down to taking that LGS, the local gaming store, and turning into the FLGS, the friendly local gaming store, turning into that place that I want to go as a consumer where I'm going to hit it and check out your stuff all the time. Which so, kind of leads right into Mo's, Mo Tusano hit us up too. That kind of segues into what he was talking about, huh? Yeah. Well, so I'm not. So Chad continues. Okay. Sorry. Our biggest issue is cash flow. We opened on a shoestring budget, and I dropped a lot of money just to keep it open. 
Um, obviously he, he went into his retirement fund. He mentions, uh, he's glad he's out. So I'm glad I'm out, but I miss it. It's a hard business. And we opened in an area that had a solid, strong game store, two huge mistakes. So I have to say the best quote from this podcast is if it smells like piss, I'm leaving. <laughs> that was mine. Yay. You like my, you like my smells like cat piss. I'm leaving. Brett, I laughed so hard that the office took turns poking their head in my office. Is it Tuesday again yet? So thanks for dropping us that line, Chad. And then uh, James, um, I think is a new listener to the show. James chimed in. Um, he says, obviously, this is my first listen. I was directed here by Mike of Great Out Productions. Hey. Awesome. This is fantastic. I worked at my now-closed FLGS. It closed for every reason you listed here. The store was a dirty concrete cave. The manager was contrary. There was a staff member who had to be sent home several times and told to shower. The stock was so badly organized and thrown on the shelf, no communication with consumers, no initiative when it came to sales. When I got hired, actually worked for these guys. When I got hired, I went through the used book section and gave the owner a stack of 20 or more books that were going for around $100 a piece on eBay. He just put them on the back shelf and did nothing. Aye. His attitude... Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> His attitude was, I'm the, quote, I'm the only game in town, unquote. As the online market blossomed, his business died. When it finally crumbled, a new FLGS opened. Clean and with friendly staff, focused stock, but always willing to custom order. I was able to pick up a custom order that arrived the day the store opened. It's it's just a perfect store. This show was awesome. Thanks, James. Much appreciated. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I hope you enjoy the the future shows. And you know, it's funny because he's like <laughs> he's a staff member working with a dickhead owner. Well, the goofy thing too is like where I I know where I know where Chad lives, right? He lives in my hometown, so I, I obviously I know the store and stuff. I don't know where James from, but it, it's clearly not just Sean and Brett seeing this thing, or just Sean, Brett, and Chad in you know the certain section of Wisconsin seeing this thing. As I said at the beginning of the last one. There's a reason why it's a stereotype. There's a reason why comic book guy in the Simpsons is a thing because it's out there and there's lots of them. Yeah. Well, and yeah. Anyway, don't want to go too far into that. Yeah. So thanks for the comments. Much appreciated for the feedback. That's what we like to see. It's, you know, a community. I'd like to think of it's like a podcast and a great community where community members can weigh in. So um, one other thing, I think, and then we're getting on to the main topic, um, which is Mo, who we've mentioned before on the podcast. And if you're not connected to him, by all means, on Google+. Plus. Um, so he said in in relation to the last episode, this is a bit of a contentious topic locally as of late. The big FLGS of the area closed. The owner had planned to start fresh with something new. A secondary store really stepped up to to the plate to fill the gap went from local game store and really magic, the gathering and CCG store that also had Warhammer to a true hobby game store that also earned the F in front of FLGS. Now, since then something went bad for the initial FLGS owner and his plans didn't work out. He's now back in the LGS business, hooking up with the local UFLGS, which is the unfair. Unfriendly, <laughs> unfriendly local game store. Now, since joining up, he's doing an awesome job getting rid of that you. That the problem is that uh, that there's a there's bad blood between all these store owners. 
So now the local gaming community is starting to remind me of high school RPG groups where there are relationship issues. I'm sure you've all done, <laughs> I'm sure you've all gone through that at some point and now know what it feels like. Added to this mess are a couple of really cool out-of-towners, though they've now been here long enough they can't really be called out-of-towners anymore, who have plans to open a new store next year. Hi. Well, I mean, on the plus side, it sounds like, what, next year there'll be three gaming stores in those areas. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. <clears throat> it sucks that you've got the contention, but I, I don't know. I mean, if it's really that high school group kind of feel where it's just bad attitude and I don't like him because he you know spilled a Coke on my dice back then or he took my girlfriend or whatever. When it gets that weird personal stuff, is that that's when it gets kind of stupid in my opinion because – from a business perspective, right, if I own a store and Sean owns a store, I expect us to have a little bit of contention. Like, hey, I want Sean's market space, right? If I really want to blossom as a business, I want to – I want. it's kind of weird, right? Part of me says I want to shut Sean down. I want to be the only game in town. But sometimes it's nice to have the back and forth, right, to have um, kind of a competition between the two stores. can be cool. Again, this is you know my, my penny market analysis. But that does suck when you've got a couple of gaming stores and then you've got just – just bad attitudes between people for reasons that are probably not really work related or business related reasons. Those are just that the, the high school attitude is yeah. Yuck. Yuck. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think there's a, maybe a Moe's situation with some of those, like I'm sure that's just part of the story, but I don't, I think there's probably an underlying like, Hey, I could, I don't have to invest and I can make these other stores better. So I'm going to go to them and then make them friendly versus unfriendly or, and I don't even have to like invest, you know, all my money into doing it and hope it flourishes and grows, which is something that I tried. Um, but I didn't want to get into the gaming business necessarily. Or um, people try to see like, you know, I think we could do a better job because of some of the reasons we brought up. Now, Madison's weird. They've got kind of a goofy kumbaya kind of thing going on amongst all of them. It's And, and literally each, we have like, what, what, literally at one time we had like five gaming stores. And Madison has probably total, we've got maybe 250000 in Madison proper. And then maybe, I don't know, I heard something like another hundred two two fifty in the county either adjoining in the burbs or even going outside the city limits a little bit further. So you're talking almost like 500,000 people and five gaming stores, which is kind of crazy. But each Well, tack in, tack in the colleges, right? I mean, not oh. only UW-Madison, which is freaking gigantic, and every semester, you know, you get a few tens of thousands of students descend upon the city. So, I mean, not just UW-Madison. There's other local tech colleges and stuff in the area. So, <clears throat> excuse me, just from an annual collegiate perspective it gets big and uh those kids have got cash or jobs and stuff and there's gamers obviously in the college community too so i kind of get how it can support the five but it is still kind of amazing that you can have five in a in a city that's not chicago for god's sake right and and so it makes you kind of wonder how many people are pouring enough money into games in the area to support now I think there's really a, a, like a, about four solid ones. And I say solid as in ones that are there and operating brick and mortar. And so 
I don't, it just is crazy to me. Like, and they're very known for specific ones. Like we have a magic, the gathering store, and we have one that's known for RPGs and we have one that's known for board games. And we have one that's known for just being in a unique location that caters maybe to more downtown. Um, but it, I don't know. It's crazy. Anyways. No, it, it it's neat though. When you've got a bunch of them, because you can do that thing where, Sean and Brett go to lunch one day and say, hey, let's go to Pegasus. Ah, crap, they don't have it. Let's go see if Iron Board has it because I want it right now. So that's kind of cool. You can hop from store to store. You could do this or do that or, hey, Iron Board can get this for me because I called them up and they're right there or whatever the case is. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, should, I not, should I not mention names, Sean? I don't, I, I don't care. I don't care. Okay, good. I really okay, don't. Um, but I do, th- I, so I'd like to have more than none. And I, I feel bad. I cannot imagine living in a place that has none. Like, oh, the nearest game store is like 80 miles away, which I think I saw in one of the comments too, which is crazy. And that sucks. And it's unfortunate. But hopefully you're gaming in, in general. Like if you got to get your stuff online in those situations, totally get it. Um, but let's hope you're gaming online or, you know, face-to-face with buddies Maybe there's just not a big enough community to support a, a store in your area, but I don't know. Anyways, that was a lot of the comments on episode 12 or 11. Oh. 11. 11. And then Liz, I just want to point out, Liz mentioned, she's a follower of the show. She listened to it after Mo pointed it out and said, hey, listen to these guys. I think it was how she found it. And she only had the feedback on Brett's mouse clicking from the last episode. So if you heard that, you're not the only one. I I. Told. Just like, just just hold on, just be quiet for a second. Yeah. Okay, I got it out. Of my you just system. got it I'm out good. now. I'm good. Yeah, I'm done. So, and then I also had Brett's wife temporarily restrain him during this episode. So, um, I told her, "Hey, not not the gag. The gag's not necessary. You gotta <laughs> gotta you gotta ungag him. But everything else is fair game." Yeah, the, the restraints they're they're plush and they're kind of comfy, but um, yeah, they seem to be working. So one thing before we go into the main topic of discussion, which is, of course, game balance, and this will be a good one. Um, we want to go ahead and, and just announce our, our new sponsor, um, Great Out Productions and Michael Allhauser and Dice Bags. So here we go. Tired of reaching into a dirty sack to get your dice? Do you have to dump all of your dice on the table in order to get the exact one you need? Do you have a dice bag that is drab, boring, and just plain bleh? Get a dice bag from Grayed Out Productions. Michael Aldhauser, owner, president, gamer, and maker of fine dice bags, can not only get you a great look at dice bag, but one that represents you. Michael has a degree in costuming, so material is important to him. These are quality handmade dice bags using micro suede, which has a buttery soft feel. Get a custom logo printed on it or choose from ones in his gallery. They have two drawstrings and even stand up so you can just pick the die you need without spooning them on the table, potentially contaminating other players' dice. Aye. See how courteous this makes you? You want your order sooner? Be sure to check out the for sale slash ready to ship section on the grayed out webpage. And this, uh, these products were actually an editor's pick in Knights of the Dinner Table issue 208. Great Out Productions, Maker Fine Dice Bags. Use promo code GAMINGNBS to receive 10% off. You can find his dice bags at etsy.com. That's E-T-S-Y dot com forward slash shop forward slash grade out. G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T. All right. 
And we're back. Game balance. So yes. So Brett and I, when we talk about, we get we've got a list of topics. We just kind of brainstorm and we cross them off as we go. And I think this had been out there. And, and Brett and I have talked about this before. Um, just in in general, one of our lunches. That's what we do, and that's how we got to in the podcasting. So this is going to be an interesting one, and uh, depends. On, and I, we're interested to hear whether you are pro game balance or against against game balance after listening to this, or just in general, because there's there, you're definitely going to get people that are like, I know I know Brett's stance. So let's start off. This is Brett's kind of hoorah because he's like, dude, let's talk about this. I'm like, man, all right, let's make this happen. So start us off, Brett. So here's the deal. Um, the more I've uh, watched the gaming communities online, Facebook, Google+, Plus, or, or talk to people and uh, you see different threads or whatever's out in some of the different, even the uh, the forums, <clears throat> this, this game is broken or this game isn't balanced enough or this character class is not equal to this other one or this isn't balance 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 i hear that constantly that people want to make sure that everything is equal footing that there's all this right the proper balance not only just from character creation but then character level advancement and the power curve and blah 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 just with characters and then making sure that every encounter is balanced as well this module is designed for characters level you know x through y and therefore everything in it needs to be at that proper cr level right the, you know it's it's got to be right where you need it to be the difficulty needs to be the same and match properly i think this probably came up more at least in a mathematical perspective when um d230 first came out for dungeons and dragons when we started mapping things to the difficulty class challenge rating cr and saying hey Four first-level characters should be able to take XCR rating and giving people numbers. As a game master, it's kind of neat because I can look at and say, well, the guys are eighth level. I got five of them in the group. Boy, I really am having a hard time challenging them with goblins. What can I do <clears throat> that's somewhere in their power curve? It becomes a neat reference point and so forth for me. But I don't. I never took it as if I'm making an encounter or I throw a demon at a group of fifth-level characters that I'm unbalancing the whole game, you know, because I, I look at it differently than that. And I also look at it more from the, um, uh, narrative perspective, uh, like movies, um, novels, graphic novels, comics, anything like that, where the characters, even within it are not incredibly balanced. Gandalf is not equal to Frodo. We've all heard that argument, right? Aragorn is not equal to Samwise yet. They're still in the same damn adventuring party and everybody gets plenty of limelight and has a lot of good times. You don't have to have this thing. And I think there is in, in Brett's opinion, there's an undue pressure, I think, on game designers and um, even game masters or players to look at a game system with this incredibly critical eye saying it's not balanced enough and th- therefore the game is broken. And this game isn't as good as another game because it's not balanced. And I think that is horseshit. Sean, do you have a retort? Oh, no, he didn't say horseshit. <laughs> oh, he did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So Sean, what do you think? I mean, that that's kind of my that's my that's my quick and dirty. Do you have if I were to play a game with you, are you going to tell me, "Oh, I don't like that game. It's not balanced enough for me," or I don't think the character classes are appropriate. Does does that balance level matter to you? Do you care? Oh. 
You know, this is a this is a tough one for me because again, if people haven't realized, I ride the fence so bad that people would just probably like to just push me off of it and just go, dude, pick a side and argue the crap out of it. Game balance is a tough one because I think that what's occurred over time is that a lot of so I think with the D20, the implementation of D20, and don't get me wrong, that thing got me back into the hobby, and it really made a lot of sense to me because mechanics-wise, it was pretty, it was more elementary than if you look back. And some people would say, "Dude, you're high." First edition AD&D is much more elementary than it is, than D20. But let's face it, when you've got like a minus ten armor class, and you're trying to figure out what you need to hit, it doesn't make sense. Where if you just go, "Hey," Your armor class is 12. If you roll a d20 and you hit 12 or above, you hit. There isn't a table cross-reference and all this other crap, and it's not you know class uh, related to the class itself. So not to get into that debate, but the reason I mention that is when d20 came about in 3.0, I think there was an inherent way of getting a level playing field between the GM and the players. Because I think back in the day, maybe, maybe not all groups, but maybe some, the GM dictated everything, like everything. And, you know, there's rule zero, the DM's always right, what have you. And I think with the rules being as loose as they were in the earlier editions, and a lot of people love that, right? They love to play that way. That's the style. That's the game they grew up with. I get it. Not a big deal. This is not a harp on you or the game. But I think with the D20 iteration and 3.0, they wanted to really say, hey, you look it up in this paragraph, and this is the rules as it's written, and this is how they should be interpreted. So then when the GM says, okay – Everybody's. It makes it so that everybody's really on the same page. So when you're like, hey, I'm on a slippery surface and I have nothing to help me on that slippery surface and you're going to move, you are going to have a DC, an X penalty, and a DC associated with that. So it's not like the DM is making that up. They could actually look it up in the book and say, slippery surface, this is what it is. It's a DC 15 or whatever. And then the player knows that. See, I, I think that the, if you will, the elegance of that, and the the, um, the always having an answer of some sort, a, you know, a difficulty class, or the case may be, that's handy for a couple things. One, computer games, and it emulates them quite well, which um, I can't stand when people call computer games role playing games because that just irks me to no end. Um, <coughs> reason being, so write us right have- right in and say how much you love uh, <laughs> how RPGs are just like computer games, and I will punch Sean dead in the face. For, ch- for charity. <laughs> for charity, yes. No, so the other thing that it does is if you have an organized play environment, RPGA did this and the, uh, the Pathfinder stuff and so forth. When you have organized play, when you have things very level and even, you can then challenge somebody in a very level playing field. Two football teams, they all have the same damn rules, the same number of players, the same, 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 same. It comes down to individual skills or whatever it is. So a running back's a running back in football or a halfback's a halfback, whatever the case may be. What I'm saying is that the stuff that RPGs are trying to emulate are not balanced by nature. Mythology, not balanced. When Thor goes up against frost giants, people smarter than him, which is a lot of times because Thor ain't that smart, um, 
Odin has to go sacrifice an eye to learn things. He has to crucify himself on a tree. You look at um, the different Finnish myths and all these things that people had to do. That's <coughs> excuse me, overcoming um, this thing, and it's better and tougher or greater than you. But you've got to find a clever way to get by it, wherever that may be. Your fictional characters I already alluded to the are the famous Lord of the Rings things. But if you pick up, if it's something as simple as like Jim Butcher's uh, Dresden stuff, Dresden is not. The toughest SOB in the book all the time. If you read the Sandman Slim series, <coughs> excuse me, he, Sandman Slim, is a tough mother, right? But he gets his ass beat on a regular basis. He's got to be clever. He's got to be quick. He's got to figure out something because he's fighting something that is stronger than he is. The challenge that he's facing is not properly balanced to his hit points or his perfect level or whatever it is. He's, he tries to figure out a way around it. And even if you want to put that stuff aside and you're saying, well, I really want to do kind of a realistic, <clears throat> real-life triumph over adversity. When somebody is in a wheelchair and they win a Special Olympics game, it's that's a it's a it's tough, right? If you're in a wheelchair and you're going to race me on foot, you know this isn't fair. But there, are, I've met men and women in wheelchairs that are damn near as fast, if not faster, than me on foot. I'm not a really good runner, but <laughs> anyway, the point is, is that these people. In a real-life adversity situation, they're triumphing over something that is tougher than they are. It may have them beat down. They may be sweating. They may be just exhausted, but they won. They did this thing that nobody thought they could do. They survived in the wilderness or whatever it was. But when RPGs try to emulate these things, bring out these um, quasi-mythological perspectives or having these beautiful things where you know you fought this huge dragon or something, you want to feel like you triumphed over something. If everything you fight and everything you meet... And every person in your group is always at the same playing field, only at just the exact same level. From my perspective, that sucks a lot of. Um, I, I think some of the challenge out of it, I, a lot of the challenge out of it. Sean, you don't have to be incredibly creative to fight these goblins. Your first level, you got the proper number of people. Brett has a proper number of goblins. You can beat them in in a fight. It's properly aligned. Sure, the dice could go bad one way or the other, but you don't really need to go crazy. It's all perfectly balanced. And I don't think that you need to have that to have a good encounter. You don't need to have that to have a good role-playing game. I, I look at my Call of Cthulhu games. There is no monster, very few Cthuloid monsters or horrible critters in there that are equally balanced to the player characters. They will kill you and drive you insane. This is what they do. And nobody argues, at least that I've heard, saying, Oh my God, Cthulhu is just too strong for my investigator and that's not fair. Really? No one says this. Because that's not the point, right? And yeah, Call of Cthulhu isn't the same as D&D. But you should not have to do this crazy balancing game for every encounter or every player character. <clears throat> so I, I'm kind of rant, I'm kind of ranting off here a little bit. But I guess my main point is that if what you're trying to emulate is not a war game, right? Warhammer Fantasy Battles, Warhammer 40k, 1500 points versus 1500 points. It's meant to be even. So it's down to tactics and very specific tactical war gamey thing. If you are emulating a war game, and I know that's where D&D came from. I know that's where the hobby started and so forth. If you're into emulating that particular thing, I guess great. But I don't believe that in the way a role-playing game is meant to be played, that that is as big of a deal as I see folks making it out to be. I see this being a very big topic of discussion about this game is broken, this character class is broken, oh, this is whatever is too much, it's just 
overbalanced. Overbalanced for what? You know, I, I just, I don't get that point. All right, Sean, I'll shut up for two seconds let you talk. So I want to go back to something you mentioned about the the, the books that I did not have never read. Like I think oh I, sorry, I think I started listening to Dresden at one time on an audio book. I think I've got one. So any of those, even uh, I think what Gaiman right what wrote the is that the one you were talking about Sandman? No, uh, Sandman Slim. Oh, Sandman Slim, not Gaiman, not Sandman. That is not Gaiman. No. So anyways, not, it doesn't not Gaiman Sandman. It, it doesn't matter. But my point is, is you say that they are up against hard, like tough odds, right? The odds are against. Oh, absolutely. Them. Yes, absolutely. Okay, but they they win, right? Sometimes, not always. Not, not, always. not always. No. Well, they survive. Not always. They survive. Sometimes Boromir does get his ass kicked well, and he dies. Dresden doesn't die every time because he's no, got Dres- like no, ten Dresden fucking doesn't. books out there. <laughs> I know what I'm saying though. Is that that is not that's a construct of the storyteller, author, game master, plus players, and the character himself. Now, granted, this is where the this is where the comparison starts to break down, right? Because as an author, I can decide that my Gotrek and Felix from the Warhammer uh, series, the dwarf and the human, that carry on through God knows how many different adventures, they never die. They kind of don't change, <laughs> you know, or what are the cases, but. The point at a certain point, it doesn't turn into an RPG anymore because I'm a single author controlling my characters and their destiny is mine. Sure, whatever. But what I'm getting at though is, if you want to start there and you're saying, "Well, I really want to play it like you know a Harry Potter thing, even," or I want to do um, a Conan type of thing, some of the shit that Conan fights is way tougher than he is. The army is smarter. He loses. He's crucified to a tree. He has this happen. He loses this thing. He's almost dead here. Now, granted, it's Conan, right? So he bounces back and he kind of struggles forward. But at the end of it, sometimes he's penniless. He started out rich and has nothing at the tail end. And he has to battle his way back to this, fight his way back to that. This is John McClane in Die Hard. It's not evenly matched with a batch of quasi-terrorist bank robbers. There are more of them. They are better armed and they know more information than he does. He wins. Yeah, sure. He is bloody, beaten, skin of his teeth. But by God... He cherishes that win a hell of a lot more than if he had equal number of players, equal number of arms, and was just, you know, this tactical battle. I mean, it's not, that is not an interesting story to me. All right, so that's episode 12, Game Balance. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> well, let's, hold, well, hold on a second, because I think, yeah, the, the, it's hard to compare fiction to a role-playing game. Because if I'm an author, I just write whatever I want, and against all odds, the person comes and comes out on top. But, um, well, is there a frustration? So I I ran into this, and I don't know if these I don't know if my old game group ever listened to this podcast or not, and I don't I think Bob will ever do it, but maybe Doc and those guys might. So we had an instance of uh, the players, and we started, I think, at first and got to fourth. And then what happened was the DM, it was a good, it was good. It was really cool on how he did this. But he, he gave us costumes in this, like, weird dimension. And the costumes, when we came out of that dimension, gave us, like, these really cool powers, right? And I mentioned this to you. 
And with those powers, I mean, it was like, you know, super awesome armor class, additional hit points, bonuses on saves. I mean, these things were really, you know, supersized. And so then what happened is the encounters we would run into were also supersized after that. Now, the DM would argue, well, because you guys have all these awesome powers, I have to make it more challenging for you. Therefore, I'm going to throw demons and devils at you. We got frustrated because even though... So in his mind, he did the, I'm a game designer. And with these powers and this group of players, say it was five of us, then I should be able to throw them this monster and they should be able to take care of them no problem. The problem was we were getting our asses handed to us all the time because it he's not a professional game designer. And so some of these guys that actually do the game design, like Paizo and Watsi, they really understand the nature of, okay, if you're fourth level, this is the type of stuff that you're going to have hit points, saves, what have you. And to throw a monster at you, they're going to have to have, they're going to have these things. And a group of four players, which is an average group party, should be able to take this based on us, I don't know, an equation of some type, right? They're, they're putting everything together and saying, you know, the party has X, Y, and Z. And in order to give them a good challenge, I got to give the monster A, B, and C. And it, they may, it'll give them a challenge to the point of it could kill one of them or really, really wound them pretty bad, but the players could still come out on top. So there's still, there's a question that lies between in there somewhere. Now, I think the question is, is every encounter combat based? Is that the only way to get past that encounter? Well, what other the only way to get past it is combat. Then yeah, you need that. If you can talk around it, if you can role play through the encounter, I've had first level characters meet a lich and the lich just happened to be a dude who really just wanted to hire them to do something for him. Yeah. If they were stupid and attacked him, he could kill them out of hand, but his personality was not such. If you attacked him, he would teleport you somewhere else because he was tired of your crap. Why would he teleport him? Why would he teleport him and not just kill him? Because that's not his personality. So I think so. If you were to run that encounter, like if you were to sit here and go, okay, Sean, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to run you the encounter. I think there would be so many different factors to consider. One is, who are you playing with? Two, do they understand what the hell, how you GM or not? Oh, yeah. or not. And two, and three is, what is the expectations with that? So, for example... A lich, so not so just wipe everything like GM players familiarity off the table, and you go to uh, somebody's going to run a game, and maybe you know them just briefly, maybe you don't know them at all, maybe it's at a con game. Who the hell knows? But you walk into a room and you run into that lich in your first level. The first thing you're going to do is like look at the DM and probably punch him in the face because that's what I would do. Well, that. Maybe okay. I'm, mean, I'm, I'm being facetious. It's a little extreme. Okay, I wouldn't. But the point, the, the point though, Frank is Frank Metzner, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> no, I'm not. Gonna do if that. you, if you, if everything in every room is designed to kill you, right? And part of that is you set the lich is not the first encounter you have. We talked about this type of thing before, where you work people into certain things. 
What I'm talking about is that the only reason for me to have to have a mathematical equation is either I'm designing a computer game or I am every encounter with every monster or potential threat can be overcome with a die roll uh, through combat, right? <clears throat> if there is the need to climb a wall and I assign the difficulty too high that it's a miracle to climb the damn thing, okay, that's just stupid on my part. But when you're <clears throat> when you're encountering creatures, if everything you meet, every dragon you run into, every pack of ten kobolds never speaks, the goblins always yell Briark, and they always charge you, and they always fight to the death, yeah, you have to figure out a mathematical piece because now I'm playing a tabletop war. I might as well play Warhammer fantasy battles instead of an RPG. Well, somewhat, everything somewhat, on a table is designed to attack. Well, some, would, some would argue that some games that are role-playing games, actually, that is what they are. So I'm not, but aside, right? Okay, that aside, I don't know how many groups are going to sit and they're going to parlay. I watched it Pirates of the Caribbean this weekend, parlay. <laughs> nice. I don't know if I don't know how many groups would would say hold hold on a second, time out. Let's just try to talk talk through this. Now maybe some are like they, that's kind of what they do and. Fighting is the last resort. I also think that it depends on the mortality rate of the campaign. Because if you're going to be like, hey, I'm telling you, say low magic, like so magic does not exist. And if you're wielding it, that it's, it's super powerful or super rare. So I think it's the type of campaign that you run. And if it's super lethal, you're going to be like, I don't want to get into fights because when you get into a fight, I have three hit points all the time. And once my head comes from my out of, off my shoulders, I'm dead no matter what. And healing is like first aid. Like, yeah, I'll put a bandage on it because you got a cut on the arm and I'll stitch it up. But that's the extent of it versus, oh, you're full strength in a couple rounds. So having said that, I also think that plays a role in in how you handle those things. I can see that. I guess <clears throat> part of it for me is that if you, again, to make sure that everything is perfectly balanced, I look at it and I say there's a couple different places where, where to me, balance is either instituted or managed and maintained or whatever through the system. So I think the first place that balance makes sense is that everyone has the same amount of points, options, whatever it is to make their character at the very beginning. First level characters all have the same potential because they have the same bucket of whatever it is. If it's GURPS, they've got the same points or 100 point characters, whatever it is. Then you make your thing, right? It is possible always that some jackass is going to break your rule system, pick a flaw or something that'll break the character, whatever the case is. But I mean, that that's an entirely different, um, <laughs> that's an entirely different topic. But the point is at the very beginning. Starting starting line, if you really want to make sure everybody's dead even there, I, I can see that. I have run games before, though, where I've had characters that are much more powerful and brand new noob characters. And they've gotten along fine, and there's no issue with that. It's that whole, we've been adventuring in here in this dungeon for fifth level characters. The new guy comes in, or you know, Sean dies, he has to come back as a first level character. You can work with that. It doesn't have to be... Um, it doesn't have to absolutely be equal within the party. <clears throat> the other thing I think is that I don't look at the 
RPG author and I don't look at the game itself as saying, man, if they don't design this game right, there's no way I can balance this out. I just don't know how to figure this out. And maybe that just comes from, you know, 20 plus years of experience doing this thing. But I don't, if you give the players options, if the players um, use the creative uh, tools, if you encourage that, if you encourage discussion, if you encourage actual role playing, creative thinking, working around things as opposed to only fight, 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 bash their face in. And, um, hey, use that parlay skill. <laughs> Try bribing somebody. In When somebody walk, walks up to the guard, instead of the first punch being thrown, the guards, they hear the guard talking instead. You interact with them. You, as a game master, can force these types of interaction. In the example with my lich, when the first level characters met him, the first thing he did was he looked up from the work he was doing. He's this busy alchemical dude. He looked up and said, what do you want? I'm incredibly busy right now. Speak your piece. I don't have a lot of time. Paraphrasing the entire conversation, but that is the type of way he started the this started the encounter out. I set the tone. Boom, the balance shifted. It was obviously not a bash the lich's face in encounter because that's not what he did. I didn't say roll for initiative. They walked in the room, described it, and the lich says X. Oh, it's a talking thing. Okay, probably want to chat it out with this dude, this crazy flesh rotting guy who doesn't seem to realize he's dead yet. Um, instead of Brett didn't say roll for initiative, he started talking and he started role playing the encounter. So I think I helped to set the mood and my players helped to set the mood by pushing them into the, giving them those options and they start coming into those things, right? I do it with my kids, my, uh, my sons, when they play D and D with me and they meet something, <coughs> excuse me, that might be a little tough for them or they're really not quite sure what to do. I give them some talking points, right? The monsters are discussing something. One of the, one of my kids, uh, his character speaks goblin. So he hears the goblins discussing how mad they are at the orcs bullying them around all the time. So what they decided to do was, oh, I bet you if I get Connor to go in the other room and yell really loud and orcish, these goblins will just get terrified and then we can surprise them because they'll think we're orcs or blah, blah, blah. So they come up with this plan because I'm forcing it by setting the stage as opposed to saying roll for initiative every freaking encounter and forcing it to be this combat because then when it becomes combat it's a game of chess and if it isn't balanced it feels unfair when you have options and you help to lay that field out there that whole concept of i don't think this encounter is fair it's a lich and i'm only first level it doesn't freaking matter because you set that stage right out of the gate does that make sense to you yeah it does make sense and i do think that you have a valid platform uh in which you however well you know, it, it like I said, it's a very hard argument to come across because I do think that the way you present your argument is valid. I do think that um, it can be tough in, in organized play for sure because I don't think you know who's going to be at the table. But I also wonder, you know, is it going to be inherently clear that I don't know why, and I don't know where, probably with D20 or 3.0, but you know, a lot of people will still even say to this day, D&D is you go into a freaking damp, cold, freaking underground maze, you kill shit, and you take its crap. It's freaking- It's the murder hobo. Murder hobos, fucking right? murder hobos. So <laughs> when you're doing that, regardless of old school gaming or current day, there's a- mindset behind that 
whether it goes back to wargaming or whatever it is, but the mindset is that's how you roll. So when you get into, I go into a room and there's a lich and, you, you know, the first thing that people with the mindset of I go in, kill shit and take their loot, the first thing, the last thing they're going to do is sit there and go, what, what, hey, hold on a second. Let's talk to this guy. Yeah. Well, that, again, it's, let's it's talk to this of- guy. I get, I get. There's a style of play difference, right? And if I was running Call of Cthulhu for you, and you open the door, and you saw five ghouls feeding on freshly killed corpses, you, and there's just you, and you're a little flapper girl with your little twenty-two holdout pistol, you would probably run. Your character's gonna run. He's like, oh, it's Call of Cthulhu. You run away from the bad guys. And I get that there's a mentality in D and D, Rollmaster, you know, uh, tons of other games, even GURPS or Vampire for Christ's sake, at, at some points, where you kind of throw down. Right. And again, from an RPG author perspective, when I read the stuff that Robin Laws does, Ken Height, uh, even John Wick and all this stuff out there, Dungeon World, you read through Dungeon World and stuff, you read that tone. I think the best thing an RPG author can do in a tone is design a game so that everything is CR five equals five and two equals two and do the freaking math. But if you write the rules and your play examples, and the tone of the entire thing is designed so that there are more options than bash their face in, then the concept of how do I make this balanced kind of goes out the window. Then you start more on that emulating those really cool things. I want to emulate the mythology. I want to emulate the characters out of this book. I want to emulate the genre of, um, you know, Feng Shui that uh, Robin did. Um, That's basically these crazy Hong Kong action films. If you want to relive or play in a Hong Kong action film world, there's a certain level of balance that kind of doesn't matter. That That's not the point. The point is emulating this thing or um, or a reasonable facsimile thereof. So <clears throat> if I'm going to do that, I'm not worried about the author telling me that two and two must always equal four in every instance and the CR must equal this and blah, blah, blah. I don't give a shit about that. And I really don't care if the sorcerer at level five is tougher than the fighter at level five. Because after the first level, after everyone had the chance to make the same type of guy or min-max however they wanted to, after that, it's in-game play that differentiates the characters, right? As they go along, they get different magic items in a D&D type of world. They encounter different NPCs. They make different friends or contacts, learn new spells, figure out new secrets or whatever the case is, lose sanity, gain sanity, gain mythos, lose mythos, whatever. That all happens in play, and I don't believe that... Any system should focus too much energy on making sure that that's always balanced all the time. Every encounter and take a step back. And I've met people who have done this. Well, you know, the characters are all fifth level, but Sean just doesn't, his character doesn't seem to be at the same footing as uh, Bill's character. So therefore, I want to make sure that I give Sean something to help bring him up to speed. I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. Does Sean like his characters? Is he having a good time? Is Sean complaining that he doesn't have a plus three weapon like everyone else in the group? No. Then this isn't a problem. I just don't get that. So what, going back to one of my examples when I was talking about this GM Bob who is running this game and gave us the fancy, fancy costumes and putting us up against monsters, there was a point where we would we would run away. We'd be like, dude, I got teleport." Word of recall, I'm gone. So word of recall gets you out of the basically zaps you out of there. Well, what ha- so then what happens if the monster says, Oh, I'm gonna freaking anchor your ass. So you can't do word of recall or tell or teleport. 
So, so what happens is you start getting into this issue of, okay, so I play, I play Brett's game. I'm going to parlay with the big bad freaking dude who's going to squash my face at any minute, Mr. Lich Guy. And I say, hey, Mr. Lich Guy, I don't want to come into your territory and really bash your face because I know you will squish me like a freaking little ant. But what if the little freaking Lich Guy does squish your ass like an ant and you're like, shit, I want to get the hell out of here and you're not able to do that. So I've run into GMs. So maybe now that may just come down to, well, that's a GM dick move. Which I can. Talk. I don't. It's not necessarily a GM dick move, but it's combative, right? A buddy right. of mine used to run games. My buddy John used to run games. J, uh, not Jr. That's a, this is a different John, older, uh, older gamer I knew. Um, if you walked into a room and there was a gnome with a dagger, and there's twelve of you, that gnome can kill every fucking one of you. Everything that you encountered, if it's one man, it is dead even. I mean, he was before second edition ever came out. Old school white box guy. If he made something up, it was always designed to be absolutely dead equal to the party. And everything was contrary, combative, however you want to put it. But the whole thing was conflict, 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 conflict. It was just a slog. And if that's what you like, if that's what you're doing, then I guess balance matters more. <clears throat> because you've got to make sure that you have ways or you're tricky. And yeah, there's some tactics in that. Yeah, he's got... Anchor, haha, oh yeah, but I have a ring of three wishes that I still have one left on, so I can totally fucking wish my way out of here, haha, dick. Okay, but in my in my experience with the people I've gamed with, the most groups of people that I've played with all through high school and up to my current group, uh, the few con games I've run, the people that have the most fun with it are not worried about the balance. They're not worried about it's skinny your teeth is John McClane getting past the, the, the terrorist bank robber dudes and making his way out. Yeah, it's tricky. It's this or that or the other thing, but he has discussion. He talks his way through it. He role plays. He gets creative. He does these different things. And not every time he walks in a room, he doesn't constantly look for somebody to bash in the face. So one it's could not that type one of could, setup. One could argue that every encounter that John McClane comes up against is a, a balanced encounter. It's just way the way he overcomes it. Now, yeah, if you were I to say, you like, say that. the whole movie as, uh, you know, on the other hand, if you it, want to say, like, the, the movie as a whole is a CR-10 and he's a first-level guy and he has to overcome it. And the way he does it is he he picks one guy off at a time at a time. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it depends on how you slice it. Now, also, I want to say that your argument about Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu and different games and this and that. Those are those are different games, man. They're totally, completely, and utterly different. I think when people play Call of Cthulhu, they don't look at like, "Oh, dude, you can't do that. That's not balanced." I don't. I don't think game balance plays a role in those specific games. Feng Shui, same thing. They're why just, does it have to play a Why does it have to in a D twenty game? That's my. That's my point. That's part of my point. My question is, why do you have to have that? That's part because of the as long system. As I but as long as I provide options for ways out of it, I can bluff him. I can use this skill. I can do this other thing. I don't always have to bash his face in just because he's a goblin and I'm a dwarf. I don't have to fight every time. Therefore, everything shouldn't be built around fight, 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 and it must be a fair fight every time. I think that's crap. And I think I agree with you on that. I don't think you have to overcome it via combat. But if it gets to combat, how do you determine whether or not – the person that you're going up against is 
so so one con one one way of looking at it is okay say you negotiate negotiations break down and the guy's actually much much weaker maybe he's a a bleeb of the watch and he's supposed to be tough but you guys are fifth level and you're walking around the town because you guys are fifth level and you you know like the highest level freaking watch guy or sergeant of our at arms is like second level and they're supposed to be tough and they're supposed to like you know, throw people out of bars and you're fifth level because you've gone on adventures and you've got magic items and you can fucking walk around like you're indestructible. You know, that also pisses me off because that happens too, right? Have you run into that, Brett? I have seen that. What I do as a game master is then it's not, it's not just you getting thrown out of town by five watch guys. It's the entire town kicks you out. Nobody has to sell you. No one has to rent your room. No one has to sell you armor. No one has to do anything. Your party's a dick. A giant walking dick. No one well, wants your party here. No one wants you, Mister Half Orc, beating up, beating up, hob, you know, hobbits all day long. Get out. No one will deal with well, you. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm fifth level. I'm gonna roll diplomacy, motherfucker. I'm gonna roll p- diplomacy, and I got a plus ten. And you're going up against what? Oh, second level guy with diplomacy. Well, so by the rules, I roll my d10 or my d20. Oh, I rolled a uh, an eighteen. I got a twenty eight on my roll. And if you look at the DC for diplomacy, it shifts them from one one degree of being unfriendly to another degree of being towards you. So I think I would face it more than just unfriendly, and I would also jack the say DC hostile. a little bit higher. Well, I mean, when yeah, and you, it's not just you have to convince one man; you must convince the entire town. You have to convince the magistrates. You have to convince the entire watch. You have to convince all the farmers and whomever else it is that you're an okay guy and you're really sorry. And as soon as you act out against that thing you just diplomacy your way into, you're gone. So I do agree with you that there's ways to handle it, but I also think that – so, okay, going back to I'm fifth level. I'm walking through town. I can – I rule whatever. You don't, Yeah, and I think if you get into an encounter and you can get around it by just negotiating or whatever, I think that's always an option. Even, you know, even Paizo, who's known to – have a system that's 3.75 and very tactically based does allow in a lot of their situations to be able to negotiate it without getting into combat. So yes, you can get around it. You can, you know, diplomatize or whatever you want to do, negotiate your way out of it and it doesn't have to come to combat. But then if it does, how does that come into play? So I, I do think that it's a part of the system, man. It's D20 3.0. Uh, fourth edition I didn't play. I won't comment on that. But I think there is an underlying – you can't compare 3 OD20 game balance to something like Call of Cthulhu because I don't think it's as emphasized in Call of Cthulhu as it is as in – I mean even even Star Wars Fantasy Flight Games version, which is really cool because you can – there isn't le- like a level system. It's more like – what kind of feats and traits do you have as you get more powerful and you gain those trees? It allows you to do like one more thing. It doesn't allow you to get, oh, now I have a plus two ability bump and I get a different feat and I get plus 10 hit points and, you know, X and Y or whatever. I get three more spells. So it's not this real power creep that you get in a D23 3.0 version game. Like you would in Call of Cthulhu. And even the Call of Cthulhu, okay, yeah, you get a couple skill points, right? Okay, you get done with the adventure, you get what? Awarded some skill points? So I don't think – and you know you're going to be dealing with 
Cthulhu and Yog Sogoths and all that other crap that are going to really mess with you and you're going to be going insane anyway. It's the theme of the game. So I think that when you're dealing with D20, it doesn't have to be that way. I get it. And it depends on how you want to roll with it. I don't think your argument's wrong, but I just wonder. Well, I guess if, if we're going to say D, if that's the theme of Call of Cthulhu, if the theme of D20 is heroic fantasy, part of it to me, and this is, I'll paraphrase John Wick in this, is what's more heroic, right? Fighting something you're pretty sure you've got an even chance to beat or fighting something you're not sure you can beat but needs to be beaten. Which What's more heroic, right? <clears throat> the guy who goes out there and checks for IEDs or the guy who fills out forms. They're both incredibly necessary, right? Okay? I mean, <laughs> that's a horrible example. No, but the point terrible. is it was terrible. I'm going to get beaten. That's what's going to happen there. But anyway, the point is, though, is when you're doing something, it's incredibly dangerous, but it must be done. This dragon is laying waste to the countryside, and you are the adventurers there, and it needs to be dealt with. You know you can beat that dragon. I'm not sure. Is Instead of saying, well, it's got to be beatable, otherwise it wouldn't be in the adventure. I don't think that's. I don't think that is a proper way to approach trying to play a heroic game. Well, I know I can probably beat anything that's thrown at me today because it's all within my proper challenge rating. What? That's not heroic. That's 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 a computer game to me. Well, dude, even first edition AD and D, you play you play Azric. Yeah, I do. You play. I know I do. You play Azric, and so you get old school Renaissance or first edition AD and D basic expert whatever, and they still have like this module for levels one to three. Correct. And the stuff in there is typically in line with what you're going to encounter. So, in your example, if there's a dragon in it, it must be able to be beaten. And it's a level 1 to 3. Some people be like, dude, you're high if there's a dragon in a level 1 to 3 module. But, say for example we're going with that, maybe there's something in the module that allows you to defeat this super awesome dragon. And if you don't get it, well, then you're going to be really up shit's creek. But that's part of the journey. Yes, I guess. Where I'm getting at, though, is that if the theme of it is heroics, right? You want to be heroic, fantasy, warrior, mage, person, whatever it is. If it's a fantasy and noir setting or whatever it is, and you're using that as your base, uh, old school, new school, whatever, there's a certain point when I don't need to ensure that every encounter and every character is always on equal footing or roughly equal footing. If you use the system, right, you and you adjudicate properly and you set things up, there's always other ways to balance things out. If you encounter <coughs> a monster that is too tough for you and you run away, and the monster wants to chase you, well, maybe you should have run away sooner or whatever the case is. And part of it comes down to as well is that me as the game master, I have to decide that every time you run into a lich, a vampire, a goblin chieftain, um, the homeless guy in the street, not everybody fights to the death and not everybody is immediately interested in killing you. Even when you encounter two trolls, those two trolls in a swamp may just go after the easiest kill possible. They kill your ponies, and you guys flee. They're like, whatever. I'll track those. Guys. I'll track those assholes down later. I'm hungry. I got two big ponies. Yeah, those things are more food 
But the dwarf fights back, so does the elf, and whatever. Just too fast, don't care. That's fine. If you play things from what I call an ecology perspective, monsters, creatures, whatever it is, the owlbear with her cubs doesn't always have to fight to the death. It may just drive you away and then run away. A lot of things in those old, to my memory anyway, when you read some of the older school adventures and you, you have a very tough monster, it'll say things like, you know, its goal is to drive you away. It wants to get you out of its cave. It wants to do this thing. It doesn't have to fight to the death every time. And if you look at a fight and you look at the characters, <coughs> excuse me, and you say that every time they have an encounter, it's not a death fight. It's not always tooth and claw. <clears throat> if we don't get out of this thing, we're dead. It might be, wow, we just barely got out, but you know what? The carrion crawler um, is busy eating our friend, so he doesn't care. It's a bug. <laughs> you know, it got the horses. It doesn't want us. The young green dragon swooped down and took out our hirelings because that's what happened, and we fled, and the dragon's like, whatever, I'm not chasing them. I'm just hungry. I'm eating this now. And the lich, from my earlier example, um, I roll, he just doesn't care. He's <clears throat> busy doing his alchemical research. He has no interest in... Um, fighting stupid little people, and if they annoy him, he teleports them away because that's the personality type he has. I play the, I play it as a thing. It's not just a stat block to be defeated with die rolls. It's as a thing with a personality and reasons and drive and goals and so forth. And because of that, whether the game tells me that that's an unbalanced encounter or not, I don't care. If you, in my opinion, if you play the encounter properly and you're playing your characters, it doesn't matter. You'll figure it out. Not every goblin's going to chase down a party, you know. Just because the goblins happen to be winning doesn't mean that if you guys run away, that they're going to give absolute chase to you. It doesn't mean that they're going to do that. Goblins aren't horribly stupid, you know. At least not to me. So I have them. I try to play them smarter or cunning or something along those lines, so that it's not necessarily always a fight to the death. If you make it, it's not a fight to the death. You have options. So we're at like one hour, and I have yet to convince Brett that he's his argument is completely wrong, and and just I don't know where the hell he's coming from. So this could go on for another eight hours, um, but no, I do I totally see your point. I totally get it. And as a matter of fact, I appreciate I appreciate that thinking. But unfortunately, it's it takes a little bit of doing to accommodate that. So having said that. Let us know how what you think of game balance. Drop us an email at gamingandbs at gmail.com. Give us a shout out at Twitter, Facebook, what have you. And let us know how you think. Like, do you th- I mean, Brett is very adamant about, you know, game balance is kind of full of its bullshit. And to me, I'm, I'm on the fence. I could go either way. I think there is a – I do like the fact that you throw it kind of to the wind because – it does provide this kind of mystery and it provides a different ambiance. But I do also understand like, dude, I've been in situations where it's like I cannot overcome this, whether it's combat or not, because it's just something the GM – and that's like a GM kind of dick move kind of, of approach anyway. So, But anyways, let us know. Let's go into die roll. Die roll, which is the 2 to 5 points that we bring up about gaming – geekery, things that we think that other gamers should be aware of um, if they're not already aware of it already. So, Brett, you want to start off on this one? Sure. <clears throat> kind of in tailing off of what we just talked about, one of the cool things I've found with uh, gaming with my kids is how awesome it is that every monster, every creature is brand new to them. 
when they encounter a ghoul, uh, they kind of get it. They've played other games, video games and stuff. When they encounter the first time they see a ghoul, the first time they see a troll, they're like, I don't know what that does. The first time they fought some trolls, they hit it. The damn things kept regenerating. I'm describing the wounds stitching back up. And AJ, my little, <laughs> little third grader, is like, oh, my God, it's regenerating. we got to do something. And they're trying different things. It's just it's all new and fresh. And it's it's a really cool lens to view it at because I put something out there that if I threw it to any experienced gamer out there, you'd be like, okay, it's a troll, blah, blah, blah. It's hard for us to figure out how to play fresh and new. But watching those kids, it's really cool. It's just it's so fun to see that next generation looking at something with totally wide eyed, like, Oh my God, I do not know what the fuck to do with this thing. It's a troll. Oh my God, what do we do? And, uh, <clears throat> so that's just awesome. And the other one I have is, uh, my personal Kickstarter rage. <laughs> so I've got this thing and, uh, thrown in on a couple of Kickstarters and I got, I've decided that if you are running a Kickstarter, quit fucking being a, you. quit being a fucking dickhead and deliver your <laughs> shit. Deliver your shit before you start another Kickstarter, assholes. That's kind of th- what I'm, I'm talking gonna, about. I'll throw it out there, Brett, because I'm not a part of that Kickstarter. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I got one that's really, really, really out there, and I think I got burned. I didn't get burned yet because they haven't, like, failed completely. And I'm talking about Tunnels and Trolls. And I know that there has been some shortcomings and there has been updates out there. But God damn it, if it's not something that pisses me off is about, hey – I've contributed. You said you're going to give me this X, Y, and Z shit, and then you don't. And not only do you not because of whatever reason, but didn't you start another freaking Kickstarter? Yeah, Come you, on. if you can't finish, if you can't finish the first one, why in God's green earth would I give you more money? That's what I'm looking at. I'm like, really? You completed this one, and since then you've started multiple other Kickstarters. You're like, oh wow, this new one's going great, and I'm like, I, I don't believe you. I flat do not believe that you're going to deliver it. And what kills me is some of the products I'm seeing out there for some of these things. I'm like, boy, that'd be really cool. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait till the damn Kickstarter is done and see if you ever actually produce said thing. And I'll buy it in a PDF form or I'll find it and buy it from somebody else. But I'm just, it really, really is. I I just, I guess I want to say, and I'm going to say, I think it's unprofessional to put out a Kickstarter Drag it out. You're not done. You're not producing the product, whatever it is. No communications on it. I mean, that flat out, that's just dumb. But second, then, to start more Kickstarters when you haven't completed the other one. Sure, sure, the product may be done, but if it's not in my hands and no other backers have gotten anything, that's just freaking wrong. And it just, I have no faith. I have no faith that it's ever going to show up now. And I I would never give you more money because I'm like, really? I I don't think you're ever going to come through with anything. I think there's third-party websites that provide, like, feedback and i don't know what they're called and things that that fall through but kickstarter if you're on kickstarter and you're in that board i think um i think luke crane is a part of kickstarter and sees oversees a lot of the gaming part of that and luke has uh, put out burning wheel he's a very good game designer and developer in the rpg field but luke if you're listening to this and you have any you know sway at kickstarter you guys need a feedback system I bet you, you know, on eBay, if I sell shit and it's effed up and I get a bad rating and people write a bad rating on me, people are less apt to buy from me. And if it's and it depends. They look at my feedback and if it's like all 100% positive and 
everything is great, they're more likely to trust that what I'm going to sell them is exactly what I put in the description. And Kickstarter, you need to fucking do this shit when it has to do with Kickstarters. If a person doesn't deliver everything and if there's a person that says, no, I didn't get this and I, I rate this Kickstarter four stars because I didn't get everything I wanted, that needs to be reflected. So when they do another Kickstarter, it's not – Nobody knows about it. They're really awesome. They've got a great reputation because they publish stuff in the industry or whatever. Well, it sucks because it, because it I feel like if I'm <clears> – <throat> I want the product and I really I, – I actually want the dude to succeed, right? I like what he does. I want to see it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? I feel like um, if I start bashing people, then they get pissy. Then the then you get the I mean then I ugh, then you're gonna get in the brawl with the fanboys and fangirls who're like no it's so and so and they've got a hard time and this person went in the hospital and this person had this problem and this person's wife left them they lost their job and I kind of get it but you know you, I need a format that I can send something talk about it other than just third party outside of it all bitching about how fucking pissed I am and that because it's just it's not working and that is fine. That is fine that things come up and things happen. Oh, absolutely. I get that. Then don't start another fucking Kickstarter. Yeah. If you couldn't complete the other one because you you were, you know, your your house got repoed on you. I mean, shit happens. I don't know. I don't know or care why. I get it. But then when I see, and I'm not saying that this is what happened, but, you know, you lose your home, your wife leaves you. Your kid dies. Something horrible, tragic, disgusting happens to you. And you're like, oh, my God, this is terrible. And then two months later, you're like, hey, my my other Kickstarter is just going strong now. Are you kidding me? This is why last time I I, uh, I pumped the uh, Pelgrane Press one for uh, Ken Heights' Dracula dossier. Pelgrane is going to produce the Dracula dossier. There's no two ways around it. They're going to do it. It's quality company. They're going to make it work. Ken Height would not put his name on something that isn't going to happen. Well, neither would I get. You know, I, I'm I'm good with that. And neither would. But Simon, there's other ones. Yeah, not, neither would Simon, who's the head of Pelgrin. No. So I mean, it's a company. No right? way. So they, there's a difference. Yeah. They, yeah. Absolutely. And <clears throat> but anyway, one. I guess long way around. If you run a Kickstarter and you're not done with the first one, you haven't finished this dessert. Don't get another fucking cookie. You haven't finished your pie yet. Don't get more. Or wrap it up, or address it to the point where you're like, "Look, dude, you pledged a hundred bucks, and that's great. I really appreciate it. I can get you these awards up to this point. I'm not going to be able to get you the awards beyond this, but what I'm willing to do is put that towards my next one or whatever it is. Like, it's I think people are fairly reasonable with what if you come like just come to Jesus, whatever you want to call it and just say, Hey, look, here's the deal. And I'm not saying like, here's the deal. I'm just never going to deliver it, but here's the deal. Like I'd like it's quid pro quo. You gave me something. I'm going to give you something back. Now, some people are going to argue like, dude, it's Kickstarter. It's about an investment into something you want to have succeed. Well, unfortunately the RPG industry has effed it all up and you know, they've made it a pre-order type of system with a bunch of bennies. If you get in really early enough, which is unfortunate. So if it was, well, if you, if I give you a hundred bucks and you've promised me X for my hundred bucks, uh, you owe me. Well, I, this is how it is. You owe me what you promised me. I agree. In some short, in some shape. Well, I agree, but I'm saying that there's some people out there that say like, Oh, it's a movie and you want to see it succeed. And you know, if it doesn't, well, that's the way it rolls or whatever. But I, I totally get what you're saying. So anyways, I think we got our message across and I've I've had a couple beers and that pisses me off because it's, you know, just, 
just it's like dude i'm just it's kind of like short step and everything it's like hey i'm gonna raise ten thousand dollars but i'm only gonna pay out five and then i'm gonna have another one and i'm gonna raise 10 and i'm only gonna pay out five and then it's kind of like this freaking game that you're taking people to town on and it's bullshit that's all i gotta that's what say it feels like it. Yeah. all right i'm done all right john talk about something else now now that i've poured cold water over my head Star Star Wars trailer, Force Awakens, Living Under a Rock. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen the trailer, what in the hell are you doing? So check it out. Have you seen the trailer, Brett? No, I do not like Star Wars anymore. Jeez. Oh, Get out of my house right now. <laughs> Seriously, I haven't I haven't watched it. My interest in the Star Wars franchise is uh non existent at this point. Do you I, that was on the qualifying questionnaire on whether you should be a co-host on this show, and I must have overlooked the answer to that. I'm sorry. I'm in. I'm in now. There's nothing you can do. Gaming and S. Oh, Gaming and nice. S. Force Star Wars. I, just in honor of you, I will watch it and I will pretend to love it. It's hey man, Lucas is out of the out of it. So hopefully Abrams and the Disney World will will like abolish Lucas to very dark closet somewhere. But check it out if you haven't seen it. Pretty interesting. Doesn't tell you a lot. Um, I don't know. It's exciting. It's happening. That's all I gotta say. Holiday movie season is another one. Um, I'm not as big. I'm not as hip on the the big movie season this year for whatever reason. There's um, some of the ones that are coming are in Exodus, Gods and Kings, which is the story of Moses, um, and an unlimited uh, CGI budget. So it kind of looks cool, but you know, I'm not a big I, I'm not a big Bible guy, but it's got some good stories. Um, the Hobbit: Battle of Five Armies. Count me in. It's the third one. It wraps it all. Yeah, I'm gonna. Up. I'm going to see it. I mean, I've, I've got my bitches and complaints with them, but I'm going to see it. You got to see it once. See how it is. It's going to be, I mean, the Battle of Five Armies, dude. If you're playing any fantasy RPG and you're not watching that, then you got a chip on your shoulder and that, whatever. That's fine. That's that's on the to-do list. The imitation game. Uh, so geeks out there, right? And some of us are really smart. That's the uh, the biography of Alan Turing. And if you're not oh, familiar, okay. And if you're not familiar with Alan Alan Turing, he's these. There's the Turing test on whether you can, you know, if artificial intelligence is basically outwits you to the point of you thinking the artificial intelligence is actually human. Turing had something to do with that. He also had uh, um, decoding during World War II. The um, enig, not the enig- Enigma machine. That was it. The decoder. Anyways, email me. Correct me. Um, but anyways, Alan Turing. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch plays Alan Turing in that one. American Sniper. For those that like uh, kind of the war movies, it's the 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 number one sniper in military U.S. military history or whatever. That was directed directed by Eastwood, and uh, kind of. I'm a military guy, so that is one I may or may not wait till DVD. I don't know. Is that um, is that Carlos? Is that about Hathcock? Carlos Hathcock? He's a I don't know who, with like ninety some confirmed kills. I'll have to check who is. It might about. be. Cool. Yeah, it might okay. be. Um, Eastwood, you know, he does some good films. Unbroken, 
um, which is interesting. That's by Angelina Jolie. And so Unbroken is about um, an individual, um, true biopic, about um, the track star who was basically stranded at sea for 47 days, and then he was rescued by the Japanese as a prisoner of war. So it's like, yay, I got rescued. Great, I'm a prisoner of war of the Japanese and tortured for... Son of a... For like quite a while. I want to say, I don't know, it was a few years or what have you, but it's, um, you know, that may be something... Um, talk about the the human spirit in that movie. Um, so those are two. And then the third one, Black Friday, Cyber Monday... Did you take advantage of some of the deals? I know some of them are out there like 40% off, 70% off. And I'm talking about deals around role-playing games, board games, mm. all the geek stuff. Have you taken advantage of any? Tomorrow's Cyber Monday. This will drop Tuesday afternoon. So let us know if you got any good deals that you really took advantage of and um, said, hey, man, this is awesome because I got X, this, this, and this. Uh, I didn't buy really too much RPGs on Black Friday. Brett, did you take advantage of anything? No, I else? didn't. I actually, I, I, I looked around a little bit, and I was going to – I actually got a uh, a deal, a 20% off at uh, one of the local game shops in Madison where I'm going to buy my DMG probably tomorrow. So I didn't. I opted not to buy anything online. But normally, Black Friday, I'm, I, there's, there's no way on earth I'm going to be in a store on that day because I'm not putting up with those assholes. However, at least not here in America anyway. So I'm more of the internet surfing shopping dude, right? This is what the internet was built for, in my opinion, so I can buy stuff online and not have to go deal with these people. So um, I saw some stuff. I've got things bookmarked. and There's a number of them that are still hanging out until like December 3rd or December 10th and so forth. So I've got a couple of them bookmarked. I'm checking to see what comes out Monday, and I will no doubt buy some stuff online. It's going to happen. I just don't know what yet. Yeah, the only thing that I'm really interested in is, I mean – because I'm a big fan of DCC, I know that Goodman Games is having a – and even Purple Purple Sorcerer Games, which makes stuff for DCC. I mean they mark stuff down pretty significant uh, on drive through RPG and uh, I don't know. Check stuff out. Let us know if you got any good deals and what you came away with. But it's – we're at about an hour 20. Apologize for this going way too long. Um, but we hope you found it interesting and got us riled up. And if you've got some feedback, by all means, contact us. Email, Twitter, Facebook. Um, appreciate you listening. And I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night, folks. Good game and all.